0: Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are... Breaking down how the Golden State Warriors became champions once again. Plus, Colorado or Tampa Bay, a preview of the Stanley Cup Final. And... What to expect ahead of this week's U.S. Open. It's episode 76 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. We are back after a little bit of a hiatus. We're here on Friday, June 17th, 2022, for the 76th episode of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, We did have an unexpected week off, just some scheduling conflicts going around there, but we are back. And normally we do this on a Thursday uh, for all you regular listeners out there, but I postponed this a little bit to a Friday for a couple of reasons. One, the overnights over at WEI kind of got to me a little bit. And number two, I wanted game six of the NBA finals to happen so we could have full uh, full discussion about it because there was just some feeling I had uh, after game five that I felt like game six was going to be the end uh, and a champion would be crowned. And that is exactly what happened as the Golden State Warriors finished off the Boston Celtics in six games uh, winning game six in Boston and capturing their fourth title in eight years. And I think this one has to be one of the more improbable runs for Golden State. Not necessarily that everyone was writing them off as a championship team, but considering the past three years that have happened with injuries and then Durant leaving and, um, and then having the worst record during the shortened season or uh, the pandemic season, I should say, uh, and then not making the playoffs the year after uh, this was more improbable. And I, you know, it, listening to the telecast um, and listening to Jeff Van Gundy on ESPN, he said that this was maybe the least talented team among this run uh, for Golden State. And it's right and it's wrong of that when you look at some of these uh, title teams, you know, look at 17 and 18, when you have the core three, plus you got Durant, healthy Iguodala, uh, and all these kind of weapons, it makes sense, but this is still a very talented uh, Golden State team, and how they won it, you know, everyone's looking at how strong of an offense they are, how well they came together, but I really want to point out something that uh, Draymond Green said in his post game, and that was their defense. I thought their defense was very, very underrated, and it makes sense uh, when you have such a flashy offense, when you got guys making shots. Um, but the way they were able to basically just suffocate the Celtics, and the way the way the Celtics just looked so pedestrian out there, you know, part of it was just Golden State was just hammering them down, you know. Uh, whenever the Celtics were driving into the lane, they had two or three bodies out there was making it really difficult for those driving kicks, uh, for the Celtics to make that happen. So that's an underrated thing, but of course, everyone's got to turn to the offense. Um, the, the way they were just able to make shots, Steph Curry putting the team, uh, on his back. And then, you know, this is sort of a golden state team. Steve Kerr has sort of, uh, shaped this team as, Um, This is a team that's not going to lose the series right away. It's going to be a sort of grinded out series. And um, the conditioning of Golden State, I thought, was absolutely huge. When you go to game four, game five, game six, you saw Steph Curry still running around out there. Meanwhile, the Celtics were all stagnant uh, out on offense. So I think credit to uh, the coaching staff for Golden State. I thought the defense was extremely important for golden state, the way they were able to suffocate and force turnover after turnover, after turnover, and then getting on the fast break off of those turnovers, ginormous, absolutely ginormous, especially for a young team like the Celtics who have never been in this position before. And you've got a golden state team that's been to the finals uh, six times now and have won four of them. So experience versus inexperience, you know, there's a lot of factors you can pick out uh, from then and there. Um, But ultimately, you know, I said it on our last episode, is that Golden State is basically the 21st century Chicago Bulls. Not necessarily that they're in the same category or you're putting, you know, Michael Jordan and Steph Curry on the same uh, level. Not at all. Not at all. I'm just talking for the 21st century there has been this is this is the NBA's Chicago Bulls of the 90s in that they just get to the finals and whenever you think you got them down uh they just come right back up and the the path is somewhat similar i mean you look at um the bulls in the 90s they got those three titles uh jordan leaves um they don't win for a little bit and then they win three more this is kind of on a similar path he had Golden State, who won three of uh, the previous four, uh, starting from 14-15, you know, obviously there was that big uh, 16 finals by Cleveland, you know, take that out of there, but then they have this period of, oh, they're not winning, maybe it's over, maybe it's over, but then reemergence. Uh, in this case, Steph Curry, back in the 90s, it was Jordan, and they win more titles, so... Uh, that that's sort of the parallels I'm making out of this uh, for the Golden State Warriors and I think you know everyone wants to talk about now like all-time ranks you know where everyone ranks I think Steve Kerr is a top five coach of all time you know just trying to name some off the top of my head you know Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, um, Red Auerbach, uh, just to name a few he's definitely got himself in that top five excuse me uh of coaches of all time I think Steph Curry is now locked and loaded in top 10 I know everyone wants to talk about oh is he the greatest now is he the greatest now I I don't really put him in the top five you know I I think he's more like a like a six seven you know something like that he's definitely top 10 because I mean the having the finals MVP puts, you know, the nail in the coffin of like, you know, his all time greatness, you know, first ballot hall of famer. I think Clay Thompson's a hall of famer. Draymond's a little bit, you know, he could be on like the edge, but I would sort of lean towards hall of famer there as well. But, you know, considering where this team was to where they are now, you know, as I said before, it's not the most talented team, but when you have guys like Gary Payton, the second contributing, uh, Nemanja Bialica came in uh, now and again. Kevon Looney was huge in this series. I think he had a 20 rebound game. I don't know if it was last night, but it was uh, somewhere in this finals. He had that in there. Um, trying to remember Jordan Poole, obviously getting involved now with the Splash Brothers. Otto Porter, uh, making that rotation change. Now he was in the starting lineup. I thought Golden State did a great job and they just showed, you know, they had more depth you know they didn't have as you know they had more championship experience but that's just because of their core everyone else was had no experience at all in these big moments and with the leadership of that big three with green thompson and curry it propelled them it propelled them to a finals win and obviously you know i mentioned steph curry being the finals mvp it you could see it from game one Game one, when he made six threes in the first quarter, you knew that he was going to be this finals MVP and he was going to uh, shine. You know, just pulling out the numbers real quick, 31 points per game in this finals, 42% from three, 48% from the field. It only made sense that if the Warriors were to win, that they were going to win this. As for the Celtics side of things, you know, we'll talk about their future, but just looking at the way they played Um, More particular, these last three games, you know, you look at the fourth quarter in game four, overall game five, overall game six, there was just, there was something mentally off, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, this team didn't give their effort at all, because I think they maximized what they could. I mean, they had their chances, you know, they had the lead in the fourth in game four. They came back and took the lead uh, in game five. Um, And they started out 14 to two in game six last night. Um, but just to see the way the team kind of not folded under pressure, but this was just a team that I don't think was ready for the big moment. You know, you had a team with zero finals experiences and, um, you know, it, it looked good through the first three games, but then when it came down to the grit and grind part, of the finals, you know, the game fours, the game fives, the game six, where you had to have it. I think everyone, and I include the coaching staff, I include first year head coach, he Adoki, you know, he made some errors specifically in game five, you know, riding Tatum Brown and Horford so much. Uh, and then in game six, you know, just, just some lineup changes, just they they did not look solid, not saying that, you know, this is a team that didn't deserve to be in the finals. They absolutely did. Um, but I just think there was some kind of like mental fatigue in there and they just look kind of worn out by golden state. You know, the, the minute they, they get on a roll, here comes golden state making three after three after three and it, it, it wearing out, you know, not the Celtics aren't the first team to have been worn out by the golden state warriors in the way they play. The fact that they continue to play for a full 48 minutes, the Celtics just had those lapses where, uh, where golden state just punched them in the throat and they didn't have a counter. They did not have a counter at all. I mean, 21 to nothing, a run, you know, getting it to a 20 point lead at one point in that third quarter. Um, you know, I look more at the golden state side of things than the Boston side of things. Obviously it's a sad day here in uh, the state of Massachusetts and the swamp scout area and Boston in general. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas for the Celtics team, but you could say that about every, uh, finals matchup um, who knows if they come back this year obviously we'll dive in more to the future in uh, let's get local but you know the Warriors shut down Tatum they shut down smart uh, they shut down Robert Williams from time and again and the Celtics just didn't have a bench they did not have a bench at all compared to Golden State you know you had your starting five and then no one else could contribute meanwhile for Golden State you can plug and play a bunch of different options out there so As I said, we'll get into the Celtics side of things, but um, obviously the Celtics had their chances um, and they couldn't capitalize on this finals. And I know everyone around this area was looking for uh, an NBA championship, but just to see the energy uh, in Boston and in the TD Garden uh, for the first finals in 12 years, is kind of surreal. I didn't go to a game, but (laughs) just watching and listening to it on TV uh, was was tremendous. Um, But I give full credit, to the Golden State Warriors for winning their fourth championship in eight years and continuing the modern-day dynasty in the NBA. and another begins or in this case i guess continues as we talk now about the stanley cup finals we are finally down to the two teams it's the colorado avalanche and the tampa bay lightning and honestly um if you ask me uh, at the beginning of the postseason what was one of the likelier matchups for the stanley cup i probably would have said this would have been in the top three of most likely matchups uh, for the Stanley Cup. Because, I mean, obviously you got the Tampa Bay Lightning looking for the 3 Pete. Hasn't been done since the Islanders in the 80s. Uh, and then you got the Avalanche. who have just been, basically from puck drop of opening night, has just been rolling, rolling, rolling on fire. Um, you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to the Stanley Cup. And if game one is, is any indication of what this series is going to be like, we are in for a very exciting matchup with the Stanley cup. I mean, game one going to overtime, uh, Colorado coming out with it in overtime, four to three, leading the series, one game to one, uh, one game to none, excuse me. And everyone wants to talk about, you know, uh, game one overreactions, you know, is Colorado going to end the three peak chance? Um, you know, I, I want to talk more in specific what I'm looking forward to, you know, before game one. I'm taking game one out of the uh, equation, and I'm, these are sort of my expectations that I'm sort of looking at uh, heading into the Stanley Cup. When I look at Tampa Bay's side of things, I see their championship DNA shining bright. You know, you could say, you could look back on all their series, you know, coming back against Toronto, uh, sweeping Carolina and then knocking out the New York Rangers. Um, I think their goaltender, I think the goaltender matchup, in my eyes, favors Andre Vasilevsky. I think if you need a guy in net, when it gets to those sort of gritty sort of games where you get to like game four, game five, game six, I think Andre Vasilevsky is the guy that I want uh, to have in the net as compared to Darcy Kemper uh, for the Colorado Avalanche. You know, we've seen it over time that, He gets better as the series goes on. I mean, look at all the way to game one of the postseason. It was a 5 nothing loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And what happens? They come back in that series, they win, and then they eventually find their way in the Stanley Cup. He looked great uh, in the Rangers series, especially in those clinching games uh, against the New York Rangers. I think this is a totally different animal, obviously in Colorado considering their offense And just what they provide uh, scoring wise, Um, but I still I still have confidence that Vasilevsky can, in the most part, uh, shut down uh, this Colorado team. Not saying he's totally gonna shut them down, but you know it's kind of like a contained process, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. Um, And then you just got a bunch of great weapons out there in Stamkos, Hedman, Kucherov. You know, they've got all these guys. Um, What I see, though, what I think is going to make the difference is the defense at the blue line. Because, you know, I said it last uh, series that Colorado was in against Edmonton, is that there's no game-changing defenseman that Edmonton had, and there's no game-changing defenseman that um, Tampa Bay had. Really, that can make a difference. So I really look at the blue line and how important that's going to be um for for tampa in this you know i see guys like victor victor hedman as i mentioned um i see ryan mcdonough you know j- just looking at the the lineup real quick Zergachev, uh cernak just to name a few i think if they can go toe to toe scoring wise with uh makar with kale makar for colorado and uh Byram, Johnson, Manson, Taze. I think that's going to be uh, huge for Tampa. It's going to be huge. Um, but just Colorado, man, it is hard to go against that team, what they've done, you know, making easy work of the Oilers of the Oilers. I should say, you know, you'd think there would be rust in game one, but no, the rust would be getting to overtime. Um, I mean, they're 13 and two in the postseason, and one of those losses was in overtime. Um, this is, I think, Colorado themselves are going to make it a high scoring matchup. This is a team that scores over four and a half goals per game in the postseason. As compared to Tampa, Tampa's a good offense and they score three per game. Colorado scores four and a half, four and a half goals per game. It's unreal. And just the speed that they have, I think. I think what's so important uh, for this series and for Colorado is getting off to a hot start. I mean, when you look at that game one, they started uh, three to one. And then it was that second period um, where Tampa really shined and got the game tied at three, three. So I think they're going to use their speed and they're going to try and come out hot in the first half. And first half, I mean, like 30 minutes, you know, the 20, the whole first period. In half of the second period. I think it's sustaining that energy throughout the entire game is going to be absolutely huge. Um, you don't want to let Tampa Bay in the game. You don't want to give them any signs of life because they're basically like sharks. When they see blood in the water, they're going to go after the kill. And that's what I think Colorado has to be careful of. If they're going to start fast and they're going to build a lead, you got to have a huge lead. And I'm talking like a three goal lead uh, by the end of two periods. That's what I see. Uh, for Colorado side of things uh, on the scoring end, because we know who's going to step up. Who's the main guys. We know it's going to be McKinnon. It's going to be uh Landis God, uh Rottenen. It's going to be all these guys, Makar, as I mentioned. Um, so we know what the scoring is going to be like. And there's no doubt in my mind that Tampa is going to have a hard time stopping it. It's going to have a hard time stopping uh, all that Colorado has. Um, and then obviously in the defensive end, as I mentioned, McCarr, I think he's got to have his fingerprints on every scoring play, because I think he's probably the best defenseman, uh, in the Stanley cup out of, uh, both teams. Um, I think McCarr has to be huge in this series and provide that support to, uh, Miko Rotten and Nathan McKinnon and all those guys, uh, on the uh, goalie side of things, as I mentioned for Darcy, Darcy Kemper, um, he is dealing with injuries. He's playing hurt but he's had plenty of time to heal. And I, I don't think we're going to see uh, him be hurt at all. It's not going to be that big of a factor at, uh, at all. So if you're asking me with everything I've looked at um, before game one, I would pick Colorado in this series and I would pick them to do it. This might be surprising. I think they're going to do it in five games. I think they're going to win in five. I just think they've got too much firepower, you know, not saying Tampa has uh no firepower because they've got just as many weapons, but I just don't think they have the speed uh, and the scoring ability that Colorado has been able to produce pretty much all season long. Um, Basically they started at the top, they have stayed at the top and I think they're going to finish that way at the top. So I'm going to pick the Colorado Avalanche to win the Stanley cup in five games. Okay. Mark that down for everyone listening. Avalanche five games, Stanley cup champions, but, Regardless, you've got a ton of experience with the Lightning. You've got a high-powered scoring team in the Avalanche. This is going to be a fun Stanley Cup to watch. There's a ton of stuff we didn't get to last week, but we still got a ton of headlines to watch for. So let's dive into this week's edition of Quick Hits. And obviously the big story is the U.S. Open taking place right now in Brookline, Mass. At the Country Club. Um... So far, it, it's been kind of surprising. I mean, the, the pre-tournament chatter was obviously the live players versus the PGA. You know, that's been sort of overshadowing it, which I don't really like. I don't really like, you know, this sort of, you know, it it can be an internal feud. um, But I don't like it, you know, being taking precedent over the tour or uh, the major itself. Because this is very pristine. It's a very pristine tournament. And, you know, the story... Um for this afternoon is uh, Phil Mickelson missing the cut. And I don't know, just watching watching media and just watching how he conducted himself. He didn't look like the same um light-hearted Phil Mickelson that we've gotten to know. Um, obviously he missed the cut, and obviously it's because you know, taking the live tour and all of that. But it's just hey, the almighty dollar is so strong for guys like Deshambo and Dustin Johnson and Patrick Reed and all these guys. What about the tournament itself? So far, just looking at the standings, we got David Lingmurth and Colin Morikawa leading right now at five under. You've got Brian Harmon, Aaron Wise, and Joel Dahman at four under. And then you've got Nick Hardy, Scotty Scheffler, and Callum Taran at three under. Now, before the tournament started, I had a feeling that, you know, Rory McIlroy was gonna play really well, but he's two over on the day. He was uh, one of those players at three under after day one, but just listening to him after the RBC uh, Canadian Open, you know, kind of basically being the, the the soldier for the PGA, you know, being the leader uh, against the live. I thought he would have had a, a strong tournament. Now there's still there's still some time, there's still some time for McIlroy to come back. I mean, he's at one under and he's only four back of the lead. You know, once you get to the weekend, you know, anything can happen. But um, that, that would be my overall prediction. I kind of I stuck with it before the tournament began. And I'll stay with it even if I got to fall on my own sword. But I think, you know, for the U.S. Open, let's focus more on the play uh, at golf. Let's focus on the tournament rather than looking at the feud between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. In the NFL, we had another player get Paid, and that player is Minka Fitzpatrick from the Pittsburgh Steeler. He is now the highest-paid safety in NFL history, signing a four-year, uh $74 million extension with a signing bonus of $36 million. That means he's getting $36 million guaranteed. Now, Minka Fitzpatrick is not the standout safety, you know. I. I don't really think there's any sort of standout safeties now in today's game. Not like an Ed Reed or a Rodney Barber or anything like that. I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and the history of strong defensive teams, you need a guy. And you need two guys. Um, Obviously, you have TJ Wall on the defensive line. Um, But if you got Micah Fitzpatrick in that safety, you know, I don't think... uh, I don't think uh, the Steelers team would be where where they were in the past couple of seasons, if not uh, for Fitzpatrick at the safety position. So uh, props to him for getting paid. i not saying this is going to be a whole—it's going to make a difference for where the Steelers are going to go, because I still think they're going to uh, finish either last or second to last in that division behind the uh, Ravens and the Bengals. Um, but, you know, hey— might as well have some insurance, you know. If you can't have Troy Polamalu, you might as well have to Make a Fitzpatrick. <laughs> Sticking with football, though, we we had uh, mandatory cam- uh, mini camps go on, and then we'll get training camp going on. But I want to focus on Lamar Jackson. He's entering Ravens camp with no new deal, and his rookie deal set to expire after this season. Now, everyone wants to talk about, "Ooh, is he going to stick around? Is he going to stick around?" You know, the talent that he has when he's healthy is top 10. You know, the problem that he has is he hasn't gotten over the playoff hump. And I don't know if that's what the Ravens organization is looking at right now saying, "Oh, Lamar Jackson hasn't gotten us to a Super Bowl yet, but he's already been an MVP." Okay? You got to keep in mind this is his fourth year. Uh, starting for the Baltimore Ravens so let's let's just pump the brakes on that just a little bit he's still young he's still on a rookie deal and I think he'll get a deal done but you know when you look at the deals that recent quarterbacks have made you know Deshaun Watson who's going to be suspended for a year is making 230 million Derek Carr's uh in the top 10 top five i think for highest paid quarterbacks matt stafford's highest paid i think lamar jackson you know he doesn't have an agent so he kind of looks at himself and saying you know what i'm better than these guys uh i've played better over the past year um how come i don't get that kind of money so i think that's sort of the leverage that he's looking at um i don't see lamar leaving the ravens anytime soon unless something dramatic happens but it's definitely something to keep an eye on uh with lamar jackson still on his rookie contract. The story in baseball has been managers getting fired. So far, we've seen Joe Girardi get kicked to the curb and Joe Madden showing the door for the Phillies and the Angels, respectively. And the next guy coming up might be Tony La Russa. I mean, let's just talk about what on earth the Hall of Fame manager was thinking. Walking Trey Turner with a one-two count wanting to face Max Muncy and letting uh, a three-run home run uh, beat the Chicago White Sox. I mean, I'm not saying a fire, you know, firing him is immediate because obviously the situations are different. You have Joe Madden, who managed an Angels team that still hasn't gotten to the playoffs with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Joe Girardi who was on the brink of the playoffs for the Phillies and then um, for about two weeks or so, started tumbling and he was showing the door even though the Phillies are starting to play a little bit better this is a White Sox team that's won the Central Division two years in a row <coughs> excuse me um he won the Central Division two years in a row they haven't gotten to the uh, ALCS though as they've been knocked off by the Astros, I think it was, for the past two seasons. So, I think after this season, you know, it might be uh look in the mirror. I, th- I think he's going to look in the mirror, uh, the White Sox that are, and say, you know what? He's 77 years old. He's not going to be doing this forever. And we still haven't gotten over the hump. You know, if we can't win this division... Um, this might not be the right guy for the job. So I think all eyes are gonna be on the south side of Chicago and that White Sox team. If they don't turn things around, they might say so long and fire a Hall of Fame manager, in Tony La Russa. And finally, back to the NHL, off the ice, there's a new head coach uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, and that is Bruce Cassidy. Now, I knew he wasn't gonna be jobless for too long, After the Bruins fired him. Do I think it was the smart job for Boston to fire him? 50-50. We'll get into that in our next segment. But I think the Golden Knights have a great hire here. You've got a great head coach who's taken the Bruins uh, to the postseason in all six of his seasons. Um, Ultimately, they got him to get to the Stanley Cup. You know, they haven't gotten to the Stanley Cup since their inaugural season you know they've gotten to the conference finals you know this this was the first year that they missed the playoffs so um all they're looking for is just a guy to get them back into the playoffs and get into the stanley cup and i think it's a great hire to uh get bruce cassidy uh to lead the charge because we know the knights have the talent the golden knights have the talent do they have the leadership we'll have to see in the upcoming season but Bruce Cassidy is one of the top coaches in hockey. I think it's great hire by Vegas uh, to get him to lead the way. And that is a wrap up of this week's edition of Quick Hits. day in the state of Massachusetts, with our let's get local segment of the week, and the talk of the town of the last twenty-four hours has been the Boston Celtics losing the NBA Finals in six games. They saw, they unfortunately had to see the Golden State Warriors celebrate on their home floor, only the second time uh, in franchise history, which really surprised me that uh, not many teams have been able to celebrate uh, on the road in Boston, but. Hey, the energy was electric, as I said uh, previously. First NBA final since 2010. Um, the energy just all around Boston and in the TD Garden just looked electric. And obviously, this this team couldn't they couldn't make it happen at home for some weird reason. I don't know why, um, but they just they they didn't have what it took this postseason to have a strong performance. You know, this TD Garden is one of the more feared places uh, at home uh, to play if you're uh, an opposing team, but you had guys coming in with no fear, no fear at all. And they were able to uh, knock off uh, the Celtics a couple of times. And by that, I mean, Milwaukee did it. uh, Miami did it. And now uh, Golden State did it. Um, But I talked about what they did wrong. I want to talk in this segment, particularly about the future of the team, because, you know, I I worked uh, over at W E I after game six and everyone, you know, I probably say about 70% of the calls that I got were saying, you know what? It's time to trade Jason Tatum. It's trying to time to trade Marcus smart. Okay. To everyone thinking that I'll just say time out. Let's look at where this team was at the beginning of the season, at the beginning of the 21, 22 season. This was a team that I personally pegged. As realistic expectations being the fourth or the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, the the four, five, six that range was what I was targeting. They did worse than that. They were eighteen and twenty-one. And then look at them in twenty twenty-two. They lost three straight games. That the that's the first time with consecutive losses since March. Since March, okay. This team is. Good. Okay. The foundation that this team has is good with Ime Udoka at the helm, the core of Tatum, Brown, Smart, Robert Williams. That's what this team is going to lean on. They're going to lean on their defense. Okay. They just ran into a buzzsaw of a team that wanted to get back to the top and get back to championship aspirations in the Golden State Warriors. The Celtics team has never done that before. No one had made the NBA Finals. Not one person on that roster, not one person has been to an NBA Finals. This was the first time, you know, let's look at the positive side of things. Okay. It's a learning aspect. Okay. Jason Tatum now knows what he has to do to elevate his game. Marcus Smart knows what he has to do to be a leader in these kinds of moments. Jalen Brown knows what he has to do to carry the team on his back. Okay, let's pause and blowing the whole thing up. All right, let's pause on that. All right, that's the overarching thing that I'm going to say for the Celtics team. But the things that I think they have to work on, obviously, is ball control. I mean, the numbers were, I think they had almost 16 turnovers so far per game in this uh, finals. They had, I think, 22 last night uh, against Golden State um and jason tatum had the most turnovers in a single postseason in nba history with over 100 i believe i believe it was 100 that he had um obviously ball control is going to be absolutely huge um as i just recently mentioned um taking care of the turnovers and uh the record i think was one and 13 i want to say i think it was one and 13 one and 14 when they have 16 or more turnovers in this postseason. Um, they have an incredible record uh, uh, when they're, le- when they're less than that. Okay. So overall, I just think it's a mental side of things. They got to, it's a young team who's got to learn the mental aspect. I mean, you had your most seasoned player was Al Horford who's never been to a finals and he's 36 years old. Okay. But on the mental side of things, they've got to learn to play. Okay. And when I mean that, I mean, don't get hung up on the previous possession. And by that, I mean, if you're complaining to the refs, stop. If you get one bad uh, offensive possession, move on. Okay. Because pretty much this series, they got into their own head. You know, they got away from their play style, they got away sort of from their defense. You know, there was a lot of miscommunication uh, in that uh, game six where. You know, you saw Golden State basically have their way into the lane on fast breaks. Draymond Green was easily getting to the basket. He had a bunch of corner threes, which I know he didn't make all the time, but still letting, uh, leaving guys wide open just like that. They just look drained and mentally, they've got to fix sort of these dog days of the NBA playoffs. And uh, on offense, you know, you know, one play at a time. One play at a time and not getting hung up on any sort of previous possession that's what i see for the celtics team overall i think what they have to fix um as a team you know when i look at the off season they got to get more scoring depth okay they need scoring off of the bench and obviously everyone on that bench disappeared grant williams couldn't shoot Peyton pritchard couldn't make a shot Derek white was scared to shoot um that's sort of what i see Daniel Tice didn't even play and he's your backup center, supposedly your backup center. So I think there needs to be uh, some scoring depth off the bench. Well, I'll just say that they need depth in general off the bench. They need depth. And um, considering where uh, the contracts are, they're definitely going to be paying luxury tax considering, you know, they've got a lot of money attributed to Tatum, Brown, Smart, Horford, uh, and Robert Williams. Um, but it's probably going to have to be you're going to have to get like some mid-level exception deals, some veterans minimum deals. And I think you got to you got to find some scoring depth and you got to find size because Golden State abused you on the rebounds, especially on offensive rebounds. So I look at sort of some free agents um, who are very strong in the rebounding department, maybe, uh, on, you know, on the power forward, the center side of things. You know, just first thing that pops to my mind, not saying they're going to get him is JaVale McGee. Um, he's got the size and he's got the length um, to be a good rebounder and to be a rim protector. You know, you could get him in there, you know, maybe you bring back Jeff green for some scoring depth on a one year deal, um, but scoring and bench debt uh, scoring and rebounding depth, I think is huge uh, for the Celtics to try and get better. Now, do they get that in the draft? We don't know. Do they get it in free agency? We're not sure. Cause really they only got like three free agents. I think Luke Cornett, is the only unrestricted free agent. And then you've got, I think, like Broderick Thomas and Matt Ryan who are restricted free agents, but you can easily let them go. Now, to talk about the more important players on this team, and by that, I mean the foundation, the core of this team. Everyone's been talking about Jason Tatum and basically his disappearance in the NBA Finals. Okay, so, uh, in the Finals, I got the numbers right up here. He averaged 21 and a half points per game, shooting 6.8 rebounds per game and seven assists per game. And as I mentioned, he had the hundred total turnovers, but it was the second half of this game that, uh, really opened eyes, uh, for a lot of people. I mean, he only scored two points in the second half in a must win do or die game six. He scored two points in the second half and he finished with 13 points and five turnovers, overall in a must win game six. This is the superstar. This is the first team, all NBA. This is a guy who you're going to say, this is your number one scoring option. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he can't change things because he's still young. He's still 24 years old. And he's been put in a lot of pressure situations pretty much since uh, the start of his NBA career. Remember in his rookie year, he went to a game seven with LeBron James. Okay. There was still a learning process for Jason Tatum. And I think he's got to learn, you know what he's got to learn about that championship mentality. Let's just, let's just put that out there. Okay. And I agree. Um, I was listening to the Greg Hill morning show on my way home from work. And I agree with uh wiki with Jermaine Wiggins is that this is still a young guy. You can't give up on him just yet i think you're gonna look at this year and then maybe the year after that you know let's not let's not form conclusions after his first nba finals in his fifth nba season Let, let's not form conclusions uh in that way so um that that's sort of what i see with jason tatum i think we're going to be talking about it a lot during the summer um, for the Celtics is what is Jason Tatum going to do? Cause he got, you got a lot of people saying that, you know, they would pick Jalen Brown now to lead this team because he's got the leadership qualities. Plus he was the only one that came out to play. It looked like in game six, he put up, I think 34 points. He was overall your leading score in the finals, 23 and a half points per game, 43% from the field, seven rebounds, but obviously his ball control uh, was just as bad as Tatum's with uh, 20 total turnovers. Uh, In this finals, you know, he's just got to learn to carry that play into the fourth quarter. He had a great third, but getting into the fourth, how does he sustain that? I think that's going to be absolutely huge. Um, I think Marcus Smart has got to learn more about the, you know, he's a great voice off the court, but on the court, being the point guard, being that leader, I think he's got to, you know, he's got to improve on that. But again, this was a team that was 18 and 21 heading into 2022. This was a team that was three games under 500, and here they are as the Eastern Conference champions in the NBA finals. Let's calm down, okay? And the last thing I'll say, Robert Williams, when he's healthy, and I think he probably was getting healthier and healthier as the season went on, this dude is going to be a top-five center by this time next year, not if he already is. He is a top-five center. The rim protector, the way he went out on the perimeter – Blocking shots from Curry, from Poole, from Thompson, and then just being an overall rim protector and uh, a presence inside. I would love to see him more uh, involved on offense being down the road. And part of that goes back to Smart, Brown, and Tatum um, finding him down low. I could have thought of maybe two or three different times he was wide open under the basket during game six. Um, So that's overall what I'm seeing for the Celtics team. And again, this is only this is less than 24 hours removed from being eliminated from the NBA finals. I don't think we can make conclusions less than 24 hours about what this team has to be and what they need to fix. Okay. We can discuss it, but saying that you need to get rid of, or not get rid of Tatum, but overall saying that he doesn't have that championship mentality and saying that Marcus smart, isn't your point guard. Um, I think is ludicrous, absolutely ludicrous. And if you're a Celtics fan thinking of that, shame on you. Um, But for next season, I mean, you've got pretty much your whole core coming back. You still got Derek White under contract. You still got Grant Williams. You still got Peyton Pritchard. I think everyone's going to learn from this. And especially, you know, considering Al Horford. Remember that. I mean, before I get off the Celtics, props to Al Horford. Okay, 36 years old. First NBA finals, he's playing almost 40 minutes a game. He's guarding Stephen Curry pretty much like his life depends on it, okay? I don't think anyone, you know, I I just look at that third quarter. He was getting switched on the the perimeter guarding Steph Curry, and he wasn't getting any help defense. But I would still take Al Horford in a foxhole at all. I know his contract is coming up to an end after next season, but I would love to see uh, Horford finish his career Uh, With the Boston Celtics, you know, maybe he takes a pay cut uh, to stay with the Celtics because we've heard it, you know, all throughout this finals. He loves being in Boston. He's got such an appreciation for the Celtics fans. Um, Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's not your starting power forward for the rest of his time. But, you know, maybe he's a six man if you get, you know, a stronger power forward or uh, someone like that. But I would love to see Al Horford remain with the Boston Celtics for the rest of his career. Um, But that's just overall the knee-jerk reaction for the Celtics. Let's get to a more positive aspect side of things. And that's the Red Sox. I mean, we now got to start paying attention to them because they're the only team playing right now in the Massachusetts, New England area. And they have been playing very well recently. Eight and two uh, during their West Coast swing. Um, They've won 11 of their last 14 games. And I circle back to starting pitching. I mean, even with their recent injuries with Nathan Evaldi going on the IL, Garrett Whitlock going on the IL, look at what they're getting from starting pitching. Nick Pavetta has been amazing. Cutter Crawford and um, Josh Winkowski, who are AAA call-ups, were throwing shutout baseball. Okay, Cutter Crawford in Seattle throwing five one-hit innings on a bullpen day. Josh Winkowski coming out and throwing... Uh, five solid innings. I mean, this winning streak is on the foundation of their starting pitching. And I think when you have guys like Evaldi and Whitlock coming back, um, and then even Chris Sale, we'll talk about Chris Sale probably in the future. Um, but when you've got those guys coming back and bolstering your rotation and the bullpen, I think that's huge. And I think Alex Cora is starting to find his dependent relievers coming out of the bullpen. John Schreiber has pitched great. Tanner Houck in closing situations has been great. And even uh, Austin Davis from time and again, it's still not the strongest part. And there's still, you know, a lot of question marks for that bullpen, but with Alex Cora figuring out, you know, who are the guys, who are these guys? Um, he's done a tremendous job with that. And um, to see the way the Sox have turned things around, And it's not even the all-star break. You know, they've salvaged their season, like I've said. They salvaged their season from what it was going to be. Um, And I think you have to look at starting pitching as a big fuel in that. I think the other uh, factor has been Rafael Devers playing at an MVP level. I mean, the dude homered in like four straight games or something like that. And then top that off with Bogart still hitting well, Martinez still hitting well. And then even Rob Refsnyder being a spark plug uh, while Kike Hernandez is still in the IL. I think lineup-wise, you still need production from one through nine. Not saying everyone needs to hit a home run, but you need Bobby Dahlbeck still hitting. You need Christian Vasquez getting on base. You need Trevor Story to learn to hit the ball, for goodness sake. And I think he's going to learn uh, to hit the ball um, during his summer months. I think he, he's much better uh, in the summer months, um, in the dog days of summer. Um, as a hitter, you know we saw that with Colorado, and obviously the elevation plays a big factor into that. But I think Trevor Story will find a way to turn things around. But overall, the Sox have been playing great recently, and uh, I can't wait to see what they do over the summer uh, to get um, to try and just bolster their um, their spot in the standings. Because right now, it's pretty much them and the Guardians uh, for that final wild card spot. I don't think anyone's going to catch Toronto or uh, Tampa basically you're going to get four teams maybe from the AL East uh, make the playoffs, which is going to be very, very surprising. So we'll see what happens with the Sox. I mean, they got the Cardinals coming in town. Now the central division leading Cardinals, I will say, so this is going to be a really, really important task um, for the Red Sox um, as they head closer and closer to that all-star break. But then uh, finally for uh, this segment, I had mentioned Bruce Cassidy. He got fired from the Bruins, now hired by the Golden Knights. I just wanted to mention that real quick. Don Sweeney is going for the easy way out. You know, I'm not I'm not saying that Bruce Cassidy should not have been fired. You know, I would have given him maybe a, a 55% chance to stay, but there was just something in the air that didn't feel right when you got closer and closer to the playoffs and then overall in that series with Carolina. Something didn't just feel right. And I thought there uh, some kind of change was needed. You know, I'm not saying this is a full-fledged rebuild, but, you know, if Cassidy wasn't the answer, then he wasn't the answer. And, you know, maybe we'll hear that um, he had some unsettling things with DeBrusque, which is why, you know, DeBrusque requested his trade. Maybe there was some disconnect with him in Bergeron. Maybe that's why Bergeron comes back or something like that. I don't know. But in terms of who should be the head coach now, I think I should be set on Barry Trotz. He's the most accomplished head coach that's still out there on the market. I think Barry Trotz would be a great fit for uh, the Bruins. And he would amplify playing in Boston more than anything. And I think that's what not only them, but the Celtics and the Red Sox, and I'll even throw the Patriots out there, even though we didn't uh, disclose them. They've got to learn what it means to play in the city of Boston. Always do to end our show. It's our LOL moment of the week, and we're going back to the NBA finals. But something that might be a sour note if you're a Golden State fan. So this week's LOL moment of the week goes to the fake Clay Thompson. I don't know his exact name. Um, but what happens to the number one super fan? You know, I, I say that loosely because I don't know anything about the Warriors fan base if they have a super fan, but um, The fake Klay Thompson is now banned from everything relating to the Golden State Warriors. How does he do this? Well, he uses his fake Klay Thompson persona to get into chase center in San Francisco before game five. He's getting up shots until security says, you know what? You're not Klay Thompson. It's time for you to go. And he gets a ban. He gets banned from everything that has to do with Golden State. That includes Warriors games at the Chase Center, the G League team, um, any I think like charity events or something like that. I I forget what it was. Um, But I mean, I I get I get that it's a standard, obviously, in NBA. If you intrude on the court, you know, if you get on the court uh, without permission, then you get a ban or something like that. I get that. We see that, you know, with fans running on the field or courts in arenas and stadiums just like that all the time we see that all the time that they get banned, they get arrested, you know, stuff like that. I get it. I get it. Um, But it, it was kind of like a loose sort of thing. I don't know. I don't think he was intentionally trying to be like a, a jerk or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I do think this was sort of like a PR to try and get uh, some views for like his YouTube channel or his social media accounts or something like that. I mean, if it was me, I think, you know, there was no ill intent. There was no, you know, your physical harm he wasn't going to you know attack anybody or something like that you know I I don't think that was the case but I get it why you ban the guy because he went onto the you know field of play unauthorized I, I get that um but again this is sort of like a lighthearted thing it's not like you know you had a a streaker on the field or you had a guy who uh was going after an athlete or something like that I don't think that was the case but I mean Clay Thompson, fake Clay Thompson, I should say, you know, you want to be the super fan. You want to, um, you want to support the Golden State Warriors. You, you are going to support their, uh, their championship now, but you got to do it from home. Everything that doesn't have to do with Golden State, San Francisco, Oakland, whatever, anything Warriors, you are no longer invited to be a part of that. So by doing that, getting onto the court and getting yourself banned for life, from anything relating to the Golden State Warriors, you have landed yourself into this week's LOL Moment of the Week. So that wraps it up for this edition of let me speak. Thank you everyone for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Spotify or Apple podcasts, make sure as always you follow our Twitter pages, our Facebook page and our social uh, Instagram page. All you got to do is search. Let me speak podcast. And remember as always, if you got a point, you got to get across. Just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.